Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Operation History, a podcast where history is more than what you remember. This afternoon, the digital table is filled, and we have a plus one. So we have Maria. Hello. We have Derek. Hello. We have myself, David, and we have the head of the show today, Lauren. Hi. And we have our guest coming on for his second appearance, Ethan. Yo, yo, yo. What up? So, in today's topic, we're going to be diving a little bit away from what we traditionally do into something totally different, which is about corn. Woo! We've never talked about corn before. Lauren so, um, finally got her episode. Yeah, I did. So on that note, Lauren, Ethan, fill us with corny facts. Always. Now, I'm just going to, um, this is going to be a shot in the dark. I know nothing about corn. I have no prior background work experience with corn. So this is going to be interesting for all of us. Anyway, the actual reality <laughs> I was going to say, finish that with a straight face. Please finish that sentence with a straight face. I dare you. <sighs> that was so loud and so close to my ear. Um, Sorry. Ethan and I work at a corn mill. So for those at home that have not heard me explain this 10,000 times, we use... Uh, water power and two big old rocks to grind up maize corn. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is just a kind of like like crash course history of what um, the corn is that we're talking about because it's not the same as corn on the cob that we eat today. And then just talk about the importance of corn in colonial America, especially Jamestown and Plymouth. As people that work in Plymouth, that's mostly what we know, but we will try our best to make minimal um, cannibalism jokes while we talk about Jamestown. Basically, how we're going to start off is basically just a like crash course into the life of corn. We tell anywhere from 30 to 200 people a day about this, so if it seems like we are being monotonous about this, that is why I'm going to grab a piece of corn if you, you would like to give us a crash course on corn. You Or if okay. you don't I mean, know. I mean, so generally speaking, corn is a cereal grain, uh, which is a, a variant of grass as any, any, any wholesome uh, grain expert could tell you. Corn is um, native quote unquote, to the uh, Americas. I, the way I say, the reason I say native, quote unquote, is because corn does not actually exist in any wild variant. There is no such thing as a wild variety of corn in the same way that you have wild onions or you might have, you know, uh, other, other plants like that. Corn is actually not something that you find in the wild. It started off as a grass uh, called teosinte. Uh, which is from kind of the region that is now known as Mexico, kind of Central America, uh, was about 10,000-ish years ago, so, so somewhere around there. And uh, essentially, uh, indigenous peoples living in that region 
at that time, you know, they're eating this tiacente grass. Tiacente is, is uh, different than corn and it's a lot smaller. It's, you know, not usually much, the pods of it usually aren't much longer than an inch or so. It's got this very hard uh, exterior shell to it. And so the people living in that region, they're eating this tiacente grass and they're like, you know, cracking it open. They're eating the little tiny seeds in the inside. They're like, you know, this is okay, but like, what if we make this better? What if we, you know, improve this? And so essentially started selectively breeding it and selectively breeding and breeding and breeding, 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 breeding it to make it, but not only larger, but also that outer hard shell kind of making that a lot more leafy, a lot more easier to just pull off. And that's where you see the origins of Corn. corn starts off as being much shorter than most varieties of corn you see today. You, I think older varieties of corn were much more than like three, four inches long. But that spread down into South America um, through trade routes, spread up into North America through trade routes, and has existed throughout the Americas since. What we know today as sweet corn is actually a later variety. The corn that we're talking about is hard. It's what is used to make cornmeal, grits, polenta, uh, tortillas. I see Maria nodding her head, get some Italian in there. And that came from like the Mexico region and up into the east around a thousand-ish years ago and slowly turned into what we have today, which I know our listeners won't be able to see this, but I'll add pictures to our show notes. Now, many uh, varieties of corn that would have been used in colonial era are eight rows, which is the eight rows around. So this is a little bit smaller than if we went to the grocery store and had corn on the cob and it's like this big. I'm not in the camera. Now, this is really important for the, you know, the grain consumption, I guess, of the indigenous people here and then later colonial um, settlers because wheat and rye were not over here. Things that we think of today for like bread and cereals and stuff like that. So here come some settlers and they are, you know, hungry. So they need something to eat. They would have brought their own grains from Europe wheat, rye, barley, oats, rice, but none of those, well, up here in this region of New England, they don't grow particularly well because the growing time isn't long enough. We can tell, like, as people from New England, it can snow in May, it can snow in October. Our ground is frozen into April, and the sellers quickly realize you could grow things like wheat but it doesn't grow as efficiently as the indigenous corn because corn has been grown for so long that it can thrive in these areas. This is a problem for many white specifically white Europeans because they see corn as inferior to other grains. It does not work the same way when you're planting it. It doesn't work the same way when you're cooking it. It doesn't rise like wheat does. Like corn flour, if you were to make bread with it, even if you put like even modern day yeast in other leavening agents, it doesn't grow, like it doesn't really bubble up and 
be really nice. Uh, fundamentally, it doesn't have the same type of gluten that right. wheat or rye has, which is also why people with celiac diseases nowadays, uh, corn products are used a lot in, in, in things that are gluten-free. Yeah. Um, it does have a gluten, just a different type. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to say it's like, it doesn't have gluten without saying it doesn't have gluten. And it also has a, you know, if you cut a piece of flour and <laughs> flour in half, a piece of wheat in half, it's the outside shell and flour. You cut a piece of corn in half, it's the outside shell, flour, and then a harder starch, which for all the 13-year-olds out there, it's called the horny endosperm. And that is what, <laughs> and that is what grits and polenta are. It comes from that harder starch. So when the, say, the Jamestown settlers and the pilgrims came here, they quickly had to adjust their way of thinking to be able to cook, which was not great because they saw it as an inferior type of wheat. Some people saw it as like the devil's wheat because it was you know, thriving in the indigenous world, whereas the godly used wheat or rye or buckwheat or something else. This stigma is something to really keep in mind when we're kind of talking about this, because as usual, the racism and superiority complex and the European exceptionalism leads to problems here once they get here and realize that their exceptionalism does not mean anything <laughs> like what you say on paper does not mean anything kind of like how like in theory i can like run a mile not gonna happen though not not in the least but so i guess i'll start with jamestown because that happens first in our colonial history so the Jamestown settlers get here and they they had a lot of problems. We kind of have talked about Jamestown in the past and I know we mostly talked about the cannibalism story, but they had a lot going on. It was a bunch of men that spent a lot of their time doing military drills and not so much doing things such as farming. This goes back to the good old sexism thought that that's not for men. That is inferior to these gentlemen that came over to be doing farming, especially corn, because corn's the inferior crop. And why would they do that anyway? Seeing how one's devastation and starvation kicks in, how that thought process changes. Oh, Absolutely. They also kind of, for the Jamestown settlers, they were ready to depend on uh, the Powhatan people um, for their trading supplies, which included food. They thought it was going to be pretty simple. You know, we are sent from Europe. Feed us. And they'd just be like, oh, okay. Uh, but what was happening here, so the Settlers were really relying on, or hoped to rely on the indigenous people in Jamestown, what is now Jamestown, Virginia. But what was also happening alongside their settling is a drought. So while the settlers were kind of going to the Powhatan people saying, hey, we have no food, feed us. 
the Powhatans were saying, we would love to do that, but we have to, you know, we're, we have to put ourselves first. We don't even know you. While we, we would love to trade with you food, we need this. Feel free to trade. They were trading things like beaver fur, which is really important to the economy of colonial uh, British America or just colonial America in general. But they couldn't do that. So the Jamestown sellers were really in a pickle because they didn't really have food. The company, the Virginia company actually almost highlighted the fact that they wouldn't have to really like problem solve this because before Jamestown was even settled, they were saying, go make friends with the indigenous people and trade for corn that you can then grow later. So, or, you know, just eat it. Uh, but they were saying, you are gentlemen, you aren't used to being farmers and going down to that level. So you won't have to, you can just steal from the Powhatan people, which did not happen. If you go back a couple of episodes ago, you know what happens when there's no food in Jamestown. It gets a little bit rocky for a while during their, quote, great starving time, which ended in allegedly cannibalism. Because it was seen as inferior, not only for these people to farm, but to be farming Corn. Um, I have a quote from, I think it's a William and Mary article. Yeah. Uh, that basically the colonists, even after the starving time, would continue to look for corn from the indigenous people uh, to avoid starvation. And they were uh, not, quote, voluntarily or enthusiastically doing this work because it was almost like harming their self-image of not only do I have to, I guess, sully myself with working on the land, but it's quote, in like Indian food. So they, I guess, would rather just cannibalize each other than. Oh, I mean, this, this is the first time we've, we've come across this, right? I mean, even when people are starving in, in Britain and in Ireland and all that, they, see fish as subpar food and don't want to eat it even though they're starving to death oh absolutely uh even during the irish famine corn was sent over and the irish people were kind of just like what the hell is this even up in plymouth which we'll talk about like in two seconds they were during their starving era they were eating shellfish and other kind of non-fish seafood and they were not particularly pleased with that because it has like no nutritional value so while today lobster and things like that are pretty high class in the sources from Plymouth they're like oh we have lobster for dinner that was terrible oh how the times have changed honestly do you have anything to add over Jamestown? Jamestown, no. I, I'm, that's not my realm of it. It's not my <laughs> wheelhouse. 
All right. So then we're going to go north. So if you know anything about me, you know that I know a thing or two about Plymouth Colony and the Pilgrims. Talking, I know. But so they are coming here in 1620. And one of the first things that we know for certain that the pilgrims did when they landed here in the new world is steal corn from the indigenous Wampanoag people. So they were scouting on Cape Cod. They were basically in today P-Town, Provincetown, for people who are not as familiar with uh, Massachusetts geography, the arm at the tip of the arm is where they landed first. And then if you almost go like right across the bay, that's where they ended up. They are down the Cape, as we say in New England, and they see essentially freshly dug up or disturbed soil. So they're like, oh, we're going to go see what's that over there. And they find corn. And they say to themselves, well, we don't know if the peas and rye that we brought with us are going to grow well. Let's take this just in case. Yeah, you know, pretty standard European stuff. Of course, they also do some pretty snazzy grave digging. Uh, not once, not twice, but three times. Technically, they only take from the graves once. Yeah. They do dig up the two other graves. They dig up graves twice. Uh, the first time they're like, dig up here, they're like, oh, dang, this is brave. Can't, can't, can't take this stuff. And the second time they're like, okay, yeah, we'll take this stuff. And then so, I think the third time they, they, yeah. So why dig them up in the first place? Was it like by accident or like? They're we, just, I think, looking for materials. And resources. Yeah, we, it's hard to say, but I don't know. In the source, they find the corn first. No, 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 no. I just went went over this like a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, it's basically the order of events as we understand it is that they basically are are traveling around and they find this, yeah, this freshly dug mound and they're like, what is this? And they dig it up and they're like, it's like apparently some kind of grave. They're like, oh, and then they put it back. Then they dig up more mounds after that. They're like, oh, this is corn. And then they take as much of it as like physically can carry. Like they talk about like men like, like they're carrying as much in like a bucket that they found. Uh, they're carrying it in that. But then they're also like men are like shoving them into like their pockets and stuff, filling like all of their like, clothes to what, like as much as they could carry. 80 bushels? It's something like that. Yeah. And a bushel is about 50 pounds. Yeah. Dang. Okay, then. So the reason why corn was. I'm going up with Kim's. Okay. Uh, I believe. Kim's our Miller boss spirit guide um so the the reason why the corn was buried in the first place the way that the Wampanoag people kind of operated is they would live along the coast in the summertime do their planting of corn beans and squash we'll get into that in a little bit but those are the main crops that were being uh planted and harvested and things like that and during the winter they would move further inland more into the forested areas where it'd be warmer and where they would have better access to things like deer or moose or other just hunt things that they could hunt. And what they would do is all that corn that they, the pilgrims found, that was for planting the next 
season. So when the pilgrims show up in November, December of 1620, the Wampanoag people are already moved inland and they have left behind the corn that they will then use for planting the next season. If you go to Cape Cod, you can actually go where this is happening. Um, it's called Corn Hill and you can like that area is still in existence. Of course, they call it Cornhill because that's where corn got stolen from the native people. They were trying, the pilgrims kind of told themselves, it's fine because we'll pay them back later. Eh. Oh, the famous IOU. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, this is a sect of the Wampanoag people called the Nossets. So the Nosset people, they knew what was happening. Uh, later in the pilgrim story, the some pilgrims go down to the Nasset people and they're like, oh yeah, we are fully aware of you and what you're doing and what you did. Because how could they not? <laughs> Fast forward to the spring, they have lost half of their people and they are ready to plant corn because as the pilgrims quickly realized their rye and peas and Barley do not grow very well at all. One pilgrim called it indifferent good. What does that mean, Ethan? It means not very well grown. Uh, that yeah, it's it's described jumping forward in the timeline, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's described at the end of the 1621 growing season that the bar or the barley grew indifferent good and the peas not worth the harvesting for the sun. It should be noted, this is a weird place to note this, but I think it is worth noting for all of uh, all people's listening to this who are really interested in history and historical documents, the word porn in various points in the realm of the English language has not always necessarily referred to what we're talking about right now. It is technically made scientific name. Corn is actually typically more typically used as a word for grain. So wheat, for example, is wheat corn. Barley is barley corn. Rye is rye corn. This corn, which the people that most Europeans are referring to as Indians are using, therefore gets called Indian corn, which is where you get the origins of the sort of multicolored corn that we think of as being like, oh yeah, it's like a decoration. It's also why if you look in the Bible and various different editions of the Bible, it mentions, you know, corn being grown. That's not corn. That's that's just saying grain, essentially. That's just how so if you're ever looking that. at like an old, like like a 14th century, like a, like a 15th century document or something like that, and they're talking about corn, it's a European document. They're not talking about, they're probably not talking about maize. They're probably. Unless they specify. Unless they specify. Just as a note, the reason I bring this up is because peas are noted as also being pea corn because they consider peas to be a form of grain, which is absolutely not true. But <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> they treat it. Like that it is, is actually really weird. So pea, like peas, the 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 vegetable that we have today is what they call pea corn. Yeah, but they 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 use it in a slightly different way. So they, they basically would like have them dried out and then would like boil it in a similar way to that, like you would a cereal. Okay. Um, All right. Okay. So it kind of makes sense, but also it's definitely not right. Yeah. Because <laughs> these are absolutely legumes. Um. Have you ever had it? Peas pottage? Yeah, I think so. 
It's it's alright. But when the pilgrims, sorry, I'm, I'm nope, stealing your go, narrative. Go. Can I steal your narrative? Go. When the go. pilgrims in in the spring of 1621, they uh, have to plant their corn. They are not really fully aware of how to do that. Enter the Wampanoag people, but specifically a man by the name of Tisquantum or Squanto. He is a man that is, you know, known in in Plymouth history. He is a translator ends up being a translator for the pilgrims is a big part of the whole Plymouth story ends up you know uh, betraying them later on but that's a whole other story uh he essentially teaches the pilgrims how to plant their corn where he essentially teaches them how to plant it in the Wampanoag fashion which is taking a fish in particular a herring uh digging a hole in the ground putting the fish in that hole making a mound over the top of it and then letting the corn grow from there. That's not something, that's in no way English standard as far as farming goes. That's absolutely the antithesis of English farming where you have furrows, you uh, carve furrows in the ground and then you take seed and you cast it out into that, you know, swipe over the top of it with harrow and that's how you plant. It's very nice, it's very neat and ordered planting in mounds that's weird that's not something that they're used to but they do it anyway it's chaotic and messy and other negative things that you know europeans will say about things that are different than what they were doing exactly and so essentially from there they have a a very big harvest at the end of the uh, 1621 season they have this big harvest feast that we now call the first thanksgiving which i think you've already done an episode on mm-hmm. so if but you're interested in, in that go check out that episode of operation history great but uh yeah essentially corn is a huge part of the, the pilgrim story it's, it's it's a huge part of american history in in general which is great. So that was a great conclusion, but I'm going to keep on talking. Yeah, so, I, I have no idea where you were going with this, so <laughs> I don't. I didn't look at your notes. Yeah. So corn becomes very important. Almost like there's almost a gravity around it for colonial America because, like Ethan was saying, the grains that they brought with them we're not growing as well. You can also see the benefits of having corn instead of wheat because wheat is this big. Corn is this big. For people at home, this is probably like a foot long. And that's- It's an ear, right? It's an it's ear. An ear. Yeah, it's an ear of corn. And you get more than one ear and each ear has just the little- kernels that you can then break up and get flour and what we know today as grits which means the pilgrims later would say you don't have to bring with you or send along rice or oats because we will use what they call samp or grits uh, the same way um samp comes from the wampanoag word in the samp which is grits delicious by the way but we'll get into that in a second i'll talk about some of the things that they made with fantastically delicious fantastically delicious they would have used corn basically to not starve to death if there was a bad corn harvest as there were 
you know, periodically. It was a bad time to be a settler, to be a colonial in the new world, because this is what you're relying on. It is also a place of tension because with needing to feed more people coming over, you need more land and where are you gonna get the land? You're gonna steal from the indigenous people. Yeah, which is a story that we hear over and over again. And we won't necessarily get into it here because that's, it's like a three volume history <laughs> of the terrible actions of colonial people that are still happening anyway, but. We've alluded to it pretty well. We've alluded to it, yeah, episodes, we'll, we'll do. So. We'll do a King Phillips War episode eventually, but um, essentially, even up in what is today Weymouth, Massachusetts, which is further north, it's kind of where Ethan and I are hanging out, there was an attempt at a colony called Wessagusset, and they were kind of similar to Jamestown in being farmers is below us, so we'll just steal from the indigenous people. And the hotshot in charge, Thomas Weston, actually sends a letter to the Plymouth Colony uh, Governor, William Bradford, which a lot of people, if they know any pilgrim names, it's usually William Bradford or Miles Standish, and said, hey, we're gonna steal some corn from the indigenous people. That's cool, right? And Bradford says, no, you have to work with them, trade with them, build a solid relationship, akin to what the Plymouth people were doing. And Thomas Weston kind of, oh, well, I already did it. Uh-oh. And it ends up in this kind of big, not a huge skirmish in the grand scheme of things, but it was definitely turning, you know, indigenous people against the European settlers, almost including Plymouth, to the point where if the indigenous people wanted to, they could have just pushed the Plymouth colony into the ocean and said, okay, we're done with you. You're making, do you have something to add? No. Oh. You no, looked like, you were just hanging out. You looked like, you have something to say. Corn kind of becomes like the center that even goes into the modern period. So many thousands of things are made with corn today. Corn starch, corn oil, corn syrup is in everything. You can use it for mold, for tires. You can use it, corn syrup, like in ketchup. People use it to make diapers. Wait a minute, diapers and tires? So not made out of corn, specifically corn starch being used as, let's say you have a rubber mold, corn starch being used as an agent to prevent the rubber sticking to that mold. And the reason that that takes place, it's not so much that corn can't, it's it's not so much a situation where corn is like the best thing to use for those. It's more a byproduct of the fact that corn is by and large the most overproduced crop in the Americas today. That is uh, directly a result of the more modern variety of corn that's uh, is developed in what is the early 20th century, late 19th century, I think. Yellow Dent number two. Uh, that's the specifically. specifically the one variety that is 99% of all corn grown commercially in the United States. That's different than sweet corn, different than what you're eating when you eat corn on the cob. About a third of it goes towards animal feed. Uh, and the rest goes towards 
things like what Lauren's saying, corn syrup, corn syrup, ethanol, uh, that sort of stuff. That's what I was looking for, actually. Yeah, but uh, the reason that that is the case is basically there was new farming uh, developments that allowed for these uh, corn crops to be grown uh, at much higher rates uh, and with much, much higher yields, which meant that, oh, now we can overproduce corn. Well, if you overproduce a crop, then you have to figure out what to do with that crop. And rather than just throw it all out, okay, well, let's have corn syrup. Sure, that's a sweetener. Yeah, throw that in everything. Corn starch, yeah, it's a thickener. Throw that in everything. And so you have all these different things that are really a result of like, I, I, I don't know, I guess you say calorie it's like you've got all these different well, things in corn. I was, like I was looking at the stats earlier just before we got on, and the U.S. is, I think, the top producer and exporter of corn, and then it goes China, which produces a fair amount, but a lot of it doesn't get used. There's a huge percentage of it that's not usable, and then Brazil is number three, where but it doesn't even really make its own. Because of overproduction, I, I think I heard this on another podcast, but the genes of corn themselves, it's very artificial, right? There's no genetic, there's no original gene left too much in modern day corn, correct? Um, yeah, no, it, 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 the thing about corn is that it's incredibly genetically unstable by virtue of the fact, like what I was talking about earlier, it being based off of this Tiasente plant. Because of that, it is incredibly genetically unstable essentially to maintain yellow dead number two as a variety, you have to jump through all these hurdles to make sure it doesn't cross-pollinate, which does mean that, yeah, it's basically breeding the same variety over and over again. And like anyone who knows anything about genes and genetics can tell you tr trying to breed the same variety for too long means that bad things can happen. It's like, look at, look at, look at all of the royalty of Europe, for example. Um, Yikes. I was going to say... Massive shade. I was going to say throwback to the banana episode because we talked about we all have one variety of banana and if one blight happens, then we're screwed. Which that also gets into why we're used to seeing yellow or white corn. Uh, the corn that I've been kind of showing off to you guys are all, it's multicolored corn comes in there's a like neon green kind of corn multicolor corn but we're used to yellow like goldish or white because when the midwest really became the corn belt they wanted everything to match so that everything's uniform and what's better than something that's gold I think there's also something to do with the genetics of it that like it's like a, it's easier yeah, yeah it's, it's easier the dominant trade like there's blue corns and things like that the mill that we work at there we use blue corn then we have the yellow den number two that Ethan's talking about which is if you basically get anything from the store with corn in it these days that's usually what it is unless it specifies like I think Maria I gave you some of our yellow corn and that's what that is but you we did also it was delicious too we made muffins and polenta with it and it was fantastic I'm going to have to get you some of our eight row, which is Please? called eight row says eight row is multicolored. I will take any handouts you can give because it was delicious. Stone ground, baby. Once you go to stone ground, you'll never go back to the store brand. Like, so one of our major, one of our major sources that we have 
from the Mass Bay Colony, Plymouth Colony, is from John Winthrop Jr. So a lot of people know of John Winthrop City on the Hill came over in Boston uh, with, the Winthrop fleet. with the Winthrop fleet and Winthrop Jr. goes on to found Connecticut. People in Europe were doing what people in Europe do and say corn sucks. And he kind of writes a love letter about corn saying, no, it doesn't. It does all these cool things. Uh, this is how we know what it looked like back then and what they were using it for, generally speaking. So it should also be noted that this is being written in uh, the 60s. mid late uh, 17th century, uh, so the 1660s. So this is not like the era of like Mayflower or like Jamestown or Jamestown. A little past that, but still not that far in the grand scheme of history. Ethan Vibal, I tried to get this, uh, but essentially is like when we're saying a love letter about corn is describing corn. What it what it amounts to is essentially a document that. A very scientific document in a way that does talk about corn, which as historians and specifically as like food historians or any sort of historian looking at crops and things like that, it's incredibly valuable to have documents like this. And it's essentially presented as, you know, this is the weird grain. I like to equate this to if, if there was a moon colony right now, right? Send people to the moon and they find this new moon grass and people are growing the moon grass. And like, let's say you could bring the moon grass back to earth. Are you gonna grow the moon grass? Pro probably not. I mean, it'd be cool as a weird novelty thing, but like, what's the use of Un it? Until it's one of those things where like the moon grass spreads and takes over all the other crops and like becomes an invasive species type thing. Ex or exactly. depletes the soil of any, any minerals or nutrients inside of it because the compound would be different. Like corn! <laughs> yeah. D does moon grass taste good though? Because that's the question. Hmm. It tastes like Cheez-Its. Can I make Ooh, it okay. into cornbread? That's the bear. Can I make it into moon bread? Mm. And it tastes like Cheez-Its? Yes, please. So just- I guess you could say that you, for this, this, this new bread, you'd be over the moon with it. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> you crack yourself up and that's all I that do. matters. I so if they will, this, so part of this, love letter from John Winthrop the Younger. Uh, here is how he describes corn and it's so like love lettery. It's, it's so ridiculous. So, okay. Nature hath delighted itself to beautify this corn with great variety of colors, the white and the yellow being most common, being such a yellow as it between straw color and a pale yellow. There are also a very many other colors as red, yellow, blue, olive color, and greenish, and some very black and some of intermediate degrees of such colors, also many sorts of mixed colors and speckled or striped, and these various colored ears often in the same field, and some grains that are of diverse colors in the same ear. So basically what I'm saying is there's a lot of variety for long story short, which we don't really see today. We at the mill grow this, or not grow, we grind this blue corn, which is, I like it. I think it's really good. And we have to get from Kansas because while we know that there was evidence of a blue corn here, it just got 
spread out, they don't see it anymore. Even our multicolored corn, uh, which is basically as close as we can get to what was being described by pilgrims, that original variety doesn't exist anymore. Rhode Island does have an ancient variety. It's called Rhode Island White Cap Flint or Narragansett White Cap Flint. And if you've ever had Johnny Cakes, for people not from Rhode Island, Johnny Cakes are cornmeal and water. And then you basically make a pancake out of it. And on the outside, it's crispy. And the inside, it's almost like polenta. Maria, you'd be in love. My, actually, my dad loves Johnny Cakes. Like, if you tell my dad, he'll, he'll be there in five minutes. Yeah. I've never seen I've never seen a man get so excited about food until someone mentions Johnny Cakes. And you have to spell Johnny Cakes with an H if it's not made with this Narragansett white cap flint. It's one of those blue laws. You can, it's not technically a Johnny Cake unless you use that variety of corn. I don't know where that one's weird, but uh, it's cool that's still around. It's still has like eight rows and it's pretty long. It's really cool. Uh, we get it from a farmer who's actually across from the Mercy Brown grave. But anyway, another call back to a different episode. Yeah, that's like our second episode or something. They're back. So the way that it would be used, they would do a few different things with corn. One is they would use the hard starch, the grits, and make something similar to what we have today as grits. They would boil it and add milk or cream and butter and salt. I know it's a big controversy whether sugar goes on grits these days. It was mostly butter, salt, milk, uh, almost like an oatmeal or a porridge. The Wampanoag people, they had what was called nasomp, which would use the same part and they would, it would be sweet. Uh, they would mix it with berries, like cranberries. Uh, they would mix it with seeds or walnuts or tree nuts and they would sweeten it with maple syrup or maple sugar it's so good guys the samp is so good it's so good it sounds it i it's mean so good. you've got you've got some good stuff in there it's so good at our wampanoag home site they make it sometimes and the last time i had it they had butternut squash in it too Ooh, that's a game changer it just tastes like butternut squash and grits, and it was so good. So they would do that. They would make something similar. Well, not similar to bread, but they would make bread as close as they could because they, like we were saying earlier, wheat, uh, corn flour doesn't rise. So what they would do is either make a like thirded bread. So like one third rye, one third wheat, one third corn and make bread like that, which you can still kind of do, especially with pancake mix. Or they would get the grits and dry it out. Like they would make grits or polenta. like if As in boiling. As in boiling it. And then they would make little loaves and have it harden. It kind of looks like, you know the chicken patties that you would get in school? It yes. looks like that, but there's no chicken in there. <laughs> it's just... Corn. I mean, there's no chicken in those things either, so. <laughs> well, you're right. You have a point there. So they would do that. Uh, they, John Winthrop Jr. describes the samp or grits as uh, till it be tender, um, as of rice so boiled, into which if milk or butter to be 
to be put either with sugar or without is a food very pleasant and wholesome. It is eaten commonly by mixing a good quantity of milk amongst it. This was the common diet of the planters. So basically just think of rice, but with a lot of milk, kind of like oatmeal or cream of wheat these days up here. Cream of wheat's more popular than grits. I mean, isn't, yeah, isn't that essentially what grits is? I've never really had, I don't know if I've ever had grits. If I do or have, I unfortunately don't remember the experience, which leads me to believe I haven't, but isn't, aren't they made with milk? Yeah. And a lot of cheese. Mm. Depends on the style of grits. Um, Different areas in the South have different recipes of grits. So some use milk, some might use something different. They might use a creamer. Um, And depending on what's, with style, they might put a different consistency in there as well, uh, whatever's in that local area. It's good. I like it. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. The only pros of living in the South. For a little- oh, I wouldn't go that far. The weather is nice, too. I said one of the few. <laughs> okay. You said, yeah. Okay. Uh, but... As we're talking about pilgrim food, I think that I have to ask Ethan, who has had many a pilgrim food, what it's like to eat corn. I mean, it's... What's it taste like? It it, it tastes like corn. I mean, the thing is, is that, like, when it comes to the 17th century and and corn and food and things like that, we know a few things. We don't know everything specifically, because that's the thing about history, is that when it comes to recipes... Who's doing a lot of the cooking? It's women. Who doesn't get written about it? It's women. Uh, so it's a lot of the recipes and exact things like that. Obviously, you, we don't really have per se, but all the approximations go. Uh, a lot of pilgrim food ends up using a lot of grits because that's what you have. I mean, that's what you use. You use what you have. Um, oh, Eliza's pissed about it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Were you asking me a specific question about? No, I just asked your opinion. He almost burnt the apartment down trying to make those, the grits bread, because it's basically, you're not cooking it. You're trying. Yeah, it's it's taking the grits, boiling it, and then taking that out, mixing cornmeal with that, and then putting that in an oven and baking it. I was trying to emulate a pilgrim oven, which gradually any sort of older style oven will essentially you build a fire on the inside of it and then you take that fire out from it and gradually you, and then you put what you're in there, you know, what you're trying to bake, put that in there, seal it up. That will lose heat eventually. Uh, I was, uh, so what I was told is start at 500 and just gradually lower the oven every uh, couple minutes or so, but I missed that second part. So I just started it at 500 and then kept it at 500 for like an hour. So I go, to- I also didn't have any sort of like parchment paper or anything like that. So I thought to myself, I'll use oil. <laughs> no, that's no, that is a hundred percent where this like ship was derailed. And when you're lucky, your apartment building is still standing. I, yeah, well, see this idiot went to go do God knows what. And so I, I was chilling. I was watching probably Dr. Phillips. I'm a 58 year old woman. And I went to do dishes or something. And I realized that there was like smoke coming out of the oven. I was like, I turned it off. And he was like, oh, why? Like, cause you're going to kill us. (laughs) But I don't know. They're pretty good. We have some little bits of, we have some cornbread 
your benefits of working out of the mill is having an endless supply of grits and uh, cornmeal and wheat flour occasionally. But so, yeah, it would not have had corn on the cob, like sweet corn at this point. But as this corn drop, like grows, it does have a stage where you can eat it like corn on the cob before it hardens. And that's what's uh, typically known as green corn. Usually the pilgrims wouldn't eat this because it was one of those things where I'm hungry now and I'm going to be hungry later. Do I eat this green corn or do I wait and be able to eat later? During some of the starving times, that was a big problem and they basically said you can't be eating the green corn. I know at least the Wampanoag people, I'm sure other indigenous people have something similar, but I can't speak to that because I don't know. Uh, the Wampanoag people had green corn festival where they would take some of their crop at that stage and eat it. It was never as sweet as like sweet corn, but you know, it the sugars had not changed into the like starches where we get the flour yet. Uh, the difference with sweet corn is that just never happens. That's why it's often sweet all the time and delicious and has no nutritional value. Fun fact, corn has very little vitamin B. This is kind of jumping forward, but during the Great Depression, people were eating a lot of corn and just corn because that's all they had. And they were getting sick because they were having a vitamin B deficiency. Paul Pellagra, hmm. it's deadly. Laura, it's deadly. Like that's an add-on. It's like the four Ds of Pellagra. It's like dermatitis, dementia, diarrhea and death it's so what you're saying is i should not have corn every day for like six years i mean you can but you have to eat other things but yeah that's our story and we're sticking to it corn is nice corn is good you can do a lot of weird shit with cornmeal i made johnny cakes once with um melted uh chocolate chips Oh, well, that's the thing, like, especially now with the modern variety, modern variety, do you want to call it that you can do like, I mean, you guys were listing off the thousand and one things that like corn syrup and corn starch can be used for, but also like, it's, it's odd that a vegetable who that has no nutritional value has become like the staple that it has. Yeah. yeah and it's mostly an American thing. We get a lot of guests from Europe and a lot of Germans who, a lot of it goes for livestock feed. And we're like, no, it's really good. Like you can buy this. And they're just like, uh, why would I do that? I can't uh, blame them. I don't know. But there's also like, it's interesting to see the through lines of how corn has spread from the Americas. Um, because like we've had people from Africa come and they call it Brits stamp or something very stamp very close to it like the more things change the more they stay the same hmm. let me ask you a stupid question no such thing as stupid question only stupid answers the you know how like when we were talking about bananas um and like some other vegetables in general they're more hardier and easier to grow all right that's what i'm trying to say is is corn like a temperamental vegetable to grow or was that like mm. part of its success with pilgrims was that well, like anybody can grow this thing it's 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 depends on the variety honestly 
Uh, yellow debt number two, incredibly easy to grow. That's why it's mass produced is because it's incredibly easy. It's a very short growing season as well, which means that you can grow more of it. As far as what we're specifically talking about with pilgrims and with Jamestown, things like that, I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say it's like super easy to grow. It's just, it is what grows. And it's also like, it's, it can be easy to grow, but it's so easy for corn to cross pollinate uh, that if say you have like two different varieties next to each other, they will cross pollinate. So if you want something consistent, that can be difficult. But the other thing okay. too is that with growing corn goes, ideally it needs to be raised off of the ground and it needs to have a strong base at the bottom of the stock or else it will, it's so tall it'll just blow over with strong winds. Which would happen. Which, which would happen if you have a big massive field. Uh, and so like if you try to you know, if you were doing it in the traditional English fashion of just like taking the scene, just broadcasting it, it, it doesn't, it won't grow like that. It needs to be more specifically planted. So in that sense, it is more labor intensive than corn. Modern corn varieties are not typically grown in mounds. Modern corn varieties are typically grown in rows, like every other plant that's grown in America nowadays, mostly just for ease of, you know, mm-hmm. farming, yeah. Uh, yeah. all of that. But um It's actually, uh, Laura and I were at a uh, conference last year. We were talking about corn, uh, corn conference. Um, Yeah, corn conference. Corn conference. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were talking about how there is actually more benefits to growing it in mounds. Like just, just the way that it is harvested, you actually will get a higher yield. It is more, a little bit more labor intuitive, but like it it will, it. it it will provide higher yields. Which is just why am I not surprised that you two went to a corn conference? You guys not remember Eric and I, I were thinking like, the same thing. Was it you guys that I was like, I have corn school today? Yes, I remember that. Corn yeah. School. Did they have to escort you guys out of the corn convention because you were so happy and excited to be there? Um, so a variety of corn that we're talking about today is called Flint. The woman running the the thing her child ran in and she said this is my son flint she named her child after corn oh no i love it (laughs) corn goals honestly hashtag corn porn yeah it's it's a lot are we going to corn school next no next week we're going to middle school it exists it's weird listen when i started my college career i did not think that this was where i would be after seven years of college i thought i'd be you know teaching in a classroom and molding young minds i am molding corn i'm great yeah, i'm just saying i'm a little bit disappointed in you lauren for not taking the opportunity to call it a conference <gasps> oh, or, or a convention what which whichever convention. It would be. that's a good that's a good one yeah why are you encouraging this why why are you encouraging this you're gonna regret that but what are you doing but yeah i mean i we have no yard we have nowhere to plant corn i want to make a purple variety of corn so i will keep you all posted on how easy it is to plant corn my my dad is actually i've talked about my dad is my dad farmed as a hobby he's gonna try going corn this year yeah blade butcher 
what do you butcher dead corn? It's a variety that it's called like, butcher because it looks like blood. Yeah. And if you use millstones to grind it, it's dangerous stone thread. So, so yeah, Derek, it's fucking wild. Who needs cannibalism when you can have that? <laughs> so here's a question. Who needs cannibalism? Hmm? Yes. When you ground corn for, for bread and all that, you're grinding into dust. Now, how they turn corn into things like oil to cook with and put it in as synthesizer is it the same sort of grinding process is it a melting process like what's what's talk to me i i need to know the quick answer is it's produced through a different process which is known as a wet milling process i don't know all the exact ins and out of it but essentially it is taking corn soaking it in some form of solution and then grinding um, it up but it separates the corn out into its individual components. You're basically putting it in a lye solution. Yeah, something like... It's the, it's a, the same thing as the, the mixalization. Yeah, so, oh, okay, hold on. So the way that it works is um, it's a... Brat, okay. Let me talk about corn. So the way that... It's the same way that you make tortillas or hominy. So what you do is you put it in like so the way that it works is you can use wood ash or you can use something like that um and what you do is you soak the corn so that the outside shell hull the stuff that gets caught in your teeth when you popcorn um that starts to gel and then what you're able to do is um somehow extract the germ which is where all the nutrients goes to grow the corn and that's where you get corn oil am i wrong no okay not necessarily i think it's actually just steeping in water i don't even think oh steeping in water i think okay. it, i don't even think it's because it, this is what i was saying here is it's just we'll see what the, the most reputable source which is Wikipedia, steeped in water with or without sulfur dioxide okay yeah so you can basically yeah you can take out the part of the corn where all the nutrients is going called the germ and that's where the corn oil is. That's also how you can get cornstarch. If you were to, it's called the mixalization. If you were to then wet mill that corn, then you get masa to make tortillas. If you let that corn dry and then you mill it, that's how you get hominy. It's also how you can digest a hull, which is where the vitamin D is. Our bodies can't digest. The hull is the outer skin of the kernel that popcorn is one of the varieties of corn. And if you're ever eating popcorn, that flaky stuff that gets stuck in your teeth and your gums, that's hull. If you ever try to consume that, your body just won't digest. It just, it just won't digest. Um, it's also the same reason why sweet corn, if you ever eat it and it, it doesn't digest, uh to say that as gracefully as possible the that's also the reason why it's because of that hard outer layer it also means that the corn is very well protected you've got a kernel of corn you keep it away from moisture and away from animals it will literally last thousands of years yeah can you tell that we talk about this all the time because both of us said like the hole that's what gets caught in your teeth when you pop <laughs> Did you already? No, say that? I would yeah. never oh. have. Any I did. I was. I was too busy looking at the phone. I was listening. Yeah, I would never have any indication that you guys ever talked about this at all. 
And guaranteed, if Kim was here, she would have said that too. <laughs> we all say it the same way too. But yeah, so it's like a different process. What we do at the mill, we don't take out, we do not take out the germ to get corn oil and cornstarch, frankly, because I don't think we know how to. And we don't have the technology to do that in our mill. So what we do is we keep the germ inside. Uh, what that does is how Maria very gracefully said how good our polenta and our cornmeal taste. That's because the germs where all the nutrients and flavor is. So if you've ever gone to the store and gotten like the generic brand of cornmeal, like it's fine, but it doesn't taste like anything. Because A, because the cornmeal, the germ is taken out. And B, because they're using steel rollers to grind it up and those steel rollers heat up and they start to cook the corn. So that also gets rid of any other flavor. A lot of people that use our products are kind of like, it tastes like corn. That's weird. It's like, what a weird concept that corn tastes like corn, but because the germ is there and because the, it's not being overheated. Yeah. And because we're using stone, which the way that it breaks down, the way that the stones work, there's air in between the two, but we're not getting into that because that's another like 60 I was gonna minutes say, you're gonna, that's, that, That'll take you another um, 60 minutes to talk about. But basically the way that great, we do it is different. But, but yeah, it's interesting. Corn is a lot. You wouldn't think that corn would actually have like anything like interesting to say about it, but it's pretty cool. Indeed. <laughs> and if anyone needs corn out there, call me. I got you. I got you guys. Did that answer your question, David? Yes, you did. Thank okay. you very much. <laughs> we like to take the long scenic route when we're talking about things. But yeah, I mean, does anyone else have anything to share? What's everyone's favorite kind of food that you make with corn? I love shepherd's uh, pie. Was that Laura that said corn chowder? Yes. Um, I love a good shepherd's pie with with corn in it oh yeah one of these days i'll make shepherd's pie that's a lie i was not expecting this question uh i i think i've already kind of tipped my hand to the situation polenta one of these days you guys have to come down and we'll make polenta i i love it i i don't get to consume it often my mom doesn't make it often but i love i do i love it I, I'd say uh, corn arepas. They, those are, they, they really smack. They do smack. Corn. I hate corn. Am I allowed to answer this question? Yeah. Uh, I would say for myself, a simple, honestly, a simple cornbread. I like, like, like me a good cornbread. Mm. Popcorn is another good runner up. Popcorn's really well, good. I mean, popcorn, popcorn is a, is a good go to snack. Uh, oh, yeah. Fun fact about apparently a friend of one of our co-workers, Lisa, um, wanted to see if like, like Orville, like Brennan Parker, like in the bag, corns, like actual corn. And so she like planted it and they started to sprout. So apparently it's real corn. Now, I didn't really get any updates of whether it actually grew, but the fact that like a soft corn is good enough. <laughs> My favorite kind of thing with corn is... A Roman Coke got that corn syrup in that. <laughs> no, like it's it's really funny cake. because everyone says, "Oh, candy corn isn't made it out it of it's, it's not real corn, but it the thing is. Is, its primary component is corn syrup." So, as they say, a a element of the true self exists in the false self. 
corn. Anyway. Why we just go so philosophical on this episode? We didn't need that. <laughs> and we hit, like, inequality. We hit, like, racism and, like, superiority complexes. We've gone into philosophy. Corn. Corn. It's the... All roads lead back to corn. All right. Does anyone else have anything to add before... I think it is it Maria does the outro. Yeah, Completely. stay corny, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Thank you, Ethan, for joining us. It is always a pleasure for us to have you on the show and be our guest. As always, yeah. I enjoy being on this podcast, Operation History. <laughs> Look for it now wherever you can find your podcasts on a podcast, website, or distributor. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate all our listeners out there, and we thank you for the support that we have received from all of you. Please rate, download, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It is a small and simple thing that you can do to help out the show in a really big way. If you would like to interact with us, there are several ways that you can do that. You can reach us on our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Operation Hist. The same handle for the multiple social media sites. It is at Operation Hist. You can also shoot us an email at our Gmail, which is Operation History Podcast at gmail.com. Or we have a website where you can view us. And that website is Operation History Podcast.wordpress.com. This is where uh, we upload pictures and show notes and sources that we use and information that is relevant to the pod. And if you interact with us on social media, occasionally you might get me, but you'll mostly be getting Lauren. I sometimes do stuff with the uh, Facebook, but that's mostly Lauren who does our social media stuff. Do you have anything you want to say, Lauren, before I jump out? Stay corny, my friends. I will see you on Twitter. That's it. Stay corny. Alrighty, everybody. Once again, thank you for tuning in and listening. This has been Operation History, and we are signing off. history has no association with any of the institutions or organizations mentioned in this podcast. The views and expressions of the hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent any academic institutions, organizations, or companies that they currently work for or attend or that they have previously worked for or attended in the past. Thanks for listening and tune in next time for Operation History. Lauren, do you have a corny joke for us? I think Ethan does. Uh, what did one corn? What 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 did the mom corn say to the the the, the son corn? What? Buccaneer.
Okay, that sucked. That was two <laughs> jokes put together. Um, but that's what's important. Listen, humor is still humor. Uh, listen, I don't really like foreign jokes. I find them a bit too difficult to digest. Ah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. That one was decent. That's good. That was good. I got one. Right, yeah. Let's hear it. What did the child corn say to the mom corn? What? Where's Papa corn? There you go. Okay. And the okay. other Derek, half of that Derek joke looks was like he's in pain. How much do pirates pay for corn? A buccaneer? Yeah. Okay. A buccaneer. A buccaneer. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, David. <laughs> it. And uh, Derek is what, in pain. Was, what was the what what rank was the ear of per, uh, the, the ear of corn uh, promoted to in the army? Is it Colonel? No, Major. Anyway. <laughs> Bye, Derek. <laughs> Bye, Derek. He's out. Oh. <laughs> he is gone. May he rest in peace. Did you hear about the award that um, the Scarecrow got? No. Standing in his field. I've heard all of these before and I yep. still laugh. Um, what's red and smells like blue paint? What? Red paint. Oh, go away. <laughs> no, I think my favorite variant of that uh, that I told recently is what, what's, what's red and smells like blue paint? Blue paint. No, it's like, it's not funny. <laughs> all right. Put me on a different level. All right, I'm doing the opening. You've just exhausted about a month's worth of corny jokes in like five minutes. Wow. Hi, I just went to Mars. How's it going? <laughs> I'm not even drinking. Whatever, Derek. Be a hater. What is the environment? There's a drought. <sighs> What's a drought? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's why we need Dave. I don't know anything. Is that like when there's like too much water? I wish. There it is. Yay. Okay. You guys could have kept going. <laughs> oh, I did for a little bit, but I'm talking about environmental stuff. And I was like, that makes David happy. Our boss, Kim, was going to be here with us today, but she is in Florida and she just texted us pictures of monkeys and manatees. What? Yeah. Jealous. Highly jealous. She was like, I'm, I'm so, like, I feel bad that I won't be there. Now I'm, I'm, I'm mad that I'm not with her. Take me with you. Eliza, you be going. Well, I mean, corn's been around for centuries. So this is a, a brief snapshot. Of Honestly, corn. yeah. It's... There's a couple years of corn. A few. Maybe four or five. I caught what he did there. I caught what he did. Uh, that's why i didn't good job derek good job good job i'm not playing music go away what anyway um stop drinking while we record come on now you're better than this stop drinking on the job come on my allergies are killing me